A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So, Jim, this is the first of four shows we're doing on incivility and political dysfunction in America. Wait, aren't these shows on restoring civility and making our politics more functional? That's the positive spin Isn't on them. Isn't our show called How Do We Fix It? It is. So, okay, I misspoke. <laughs> That's a rarity, isn't it? It never happens. Restoring civility. Carolyn Lukensmeyer. This level of division amongst the public hasn't happened in the United States since Reconstruction and the days of Jim Crow. The American Psychological Association does a stress survey every year. And this year, for the first time, the fourth highest cause of stress in Americans' life was the current political climate. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? By almost any indication, we are more politically divided today than America has been for decades. One opinion poll says 7 in 10 Americans say politics has reached a dangerously low point. And most of those people don't think it's getting better. This is the new normal. So is right now the time for a pushback? Carolyn Lukensmeyer is the executive director of the National Institute for Civil Discourse, a group that's pushing back against the current political trend. She joins us via Skype from the national capital of uncivil discourse, Washington, D.C., Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you. Carolyn, your group says voters are frustrated, worried, and angry with their leaders and ashamed of how our political process works. Pretty strong words. This level of division amongst the public hasn't happened in the United States since Reconstruction and the days of Jim Crow. And what's very different after this election was over, you know, it happened almost two years ago now, and yet ordinary people who voted for one candidate or who voted for the other candidate are still carrying very hurtful judgments about each other. And frankly, the administration, and particularly the president, has continued to model that kind of language, model that otherizing of Americans on a practically daily basis as well. So at the National Institute, we began to get literally thousands of messages, email, social media, even telephone calls, with Americans using exactly the words that you see on the website. Really, really disturbed. But Richard, what was always the same was the end of the message. You could almost see people kind of shrugging their shoulders, saying, but what can we do about it? Every single one of us lives in a circle of influence. 
And in that circle of influence, yes, we can do something. The National Institute for Civil Discourse was formed in 2011 after the Tucson shooting in Arizona that killed six people, wounded 13 others, including the former Democratic Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. How did that event spur you to action? So at the memorial service, President Obama actually challenged the Tucson University and and city community to do something good to come out of that horrific shooting. And within 10 days, the university had stepped up and announced that they would open the National Institute for Civil Discourse to honor that event and make something good come out of it. Gabby herself, during the very vicious 2010 election, which most of your listeners will remember was all about the Affordable Care Act. Bricks had been thrown through her campaign headquarters. Many people started showing up at town hall meetings carrying loaded guns. So Gabby had actually had a personal experience of understanding how vicious rhetoric can potentially and does lead to violent behavior. So the Institute's goal was to understand what causes incivility, What are leverage points to do something about it? And that's why we work so broadly in all three arenas of our democracy in terms of elected officials, the public, and journalism and media. Is is what happened recently at the Brett Kavanaugh hearings a sign of, of what's wrong? Without doubt. Never before has a potential nominee or a nominee to become a Supreme Court justice has ever in their testimony taken a partisan attack stance. Has a Supreme Court nominee ever been accused of being a gang rapist? Well, obviously we had the sexual assault issue in the Anita Hill-Clarence Thomas time period. What I think is completely different in this context is that when Dr. Ford started out raising this issue, She was on solid ground trying to do a civic duty to bring it to the attention of the administration prior to their selection. So the way in which she is now being characterized as part of a conspiracy, a left-wing conspiracy, to ensure that Judge Kavanaugh doesn't get to the Supreme Court just isn't based in fact. That's, your critics would argue, a one-sided view of it, that, that you are criticizing the Trump administration, um, but you're not necessarily taking on the Republicans' view that Judge Kavanaugh was ambushed. Well, I was only speaking about the moment in which she originally made her choice. It's very legitimate for both Judge Kavanaugh and all the Republicans on the committee to feel like they were ambushed given the moment in time when Dr. Ford's information became public. But I wasn't taking one side. I've I've got to call you back on that. At that moment, I wasn't speaking about that dynamic. I was just speaking about when this process started from Christine Blasey Ford's perspective. There's no question but what both sides have behaved inappropriately in the ensuing process. And the the very fact that it's so hard to even talk about this case, this the, the whole Kavanaugh uh, confirmation, shows you, I think, just how difficult the terrain is getting. The American Psychological Association does a stress survey every year. 
And this year, for the first time, the fourth highest cause of stress in Americans' life was the current political climate. And this was pre the Kavanaugh hearings. So, and to that, the way APA defines stress is I'm not sleeping as well. I'm not as productive as at work. This has caused a friction in my relationships. So Americans' quality of life, far beyond our politics, has now really been impacted by this horrendous divisiveness. What do you think the causes are? Way too much money in politics. Gerrymandering that has met on a given cycle only about 30 to 35 seats in the House of Representatives are even competitive. The tire shift of the information with the 24-7 news cycle and the impact of that on the business model, social media, all of these are structural issues that have degraded our political discourse literally as far back as the 80s. And it now is playing out as a matter of literally how we talk to one another. Our show is about solutions, and what's really interesting about your organization is that it really is focused on giving people some encouragement and even some tools to help counter this tide of incivility. Tell us a little bit about some of the projects you're working on. We work with elected officials, we work with journalists, and we work with the public. In the elected officials, we work dominantly with state legislators, And we have a program called Next Generation. We have now worked in 17 states. Almost 800 members of those legislatures have participated in a workshop we call Building Trust Through Civil Discourse. In the workshop, we set up the conditions that elected officials, Republicans, Democrats, occasionally libertarians or independents, have the opportunity to once again meet one another as people. Not you're the conservative Republican and I'm the liberal Democrat, but oh, what called you to public service and what motivated you to carry the values that you carry? Do these events have, have a structure? I mean, do you, do you actually do more than bring together Republicans, Democrats, independents, and libertarians and have like a list of, of things that you ask people to work on together? Yes, we have three conditions before we go into a state. Leadership has to agree to this so that it isn't just members who get excited about it and then later get their knees cut off by leadership who wants to be partisan. There have to be the appropriate number of Republicans, Democrats, independents, and there has to be at least a half-time staff commitment to follow on to the implementation of the actions that are agreed on during the workshop. You're all familiar in your own lives with you go and have a new experience, but you're already jam-packed in your schedule. And if there's not some place that is doing the follow-up and making it as important on your calendar as your previous commitments, things just don't happen. So the range of kinds of actions we've seen come out of these workshops They're both in the social networking side in terms of having real relationships with each other, reinstituting what most states already used to have but had dropped, social events on a Friday evening or a social picnic in the summer, all the way to the introduction of bipartisan legislation on difficult issues that had been stymied in the legislature previously. 
You're listening to How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our guest is Carolyn Lukensmeyer, who is the executive director of the National Institute for Civil Discourse. And we will be back in just a moment to talk more about what individuals can do, not just politicians, to bridge the divide. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thanksgiving is coming up before too long, and we know in recent years it's been a huge point of anxiety for a lot of people, knowing they're going to get together with the big family, people who don't agree, and they really are worried it's going to break down to yelling and tears around the dinner table. What can people do? Well, I'm going to tell your listeners the most extraordinary example. A young woman named Katie Fahey, who lives in Michigan, really was nervous about Thanksgiving, so called her cousins, very large, multi-generational family, called her cousins to say, Thanksgiving's going to be awful if we don't do something. And she named names of uncles, people that they just knew would be having terrible conversations. So this is what they came up with. In Michigan, like many states, gerrymandering has led to districts being dominated by one party or the other that doesn't reflect the actual registered voters in the state. So Katie said, at Thanksgiving, let's suggest that instead of talking about this last election, let's talk about redistricting in Michigan. And let's just put an idea on the family dinner table at Thanksgiving as to whether or not something could be done about redistricting in the state of Michigan. They did that. People got excited. And the family got together to say, you know, this is something we could bring up with other people. To make a long story short, they left Thanksgiving, went out and recruited grassroots organizers, or a lot of young people particularly, in every county in Michigan. And the way they started was in order to be part of this process, it has to be led by a Republican and by a Democrat. This is not about one party or the other winning. This is about improving Michigan's electoral politics. They had to get 330-some thousand signatures by a certain date. Everybody said they couldn't do it. In fact, they got 440,000 signatures in time. And then, not surprising, both parties took out lawsuits to challenge them being on the ballot because both parties like the system the way it is. When we control the governorship and the legislature, we get to swing it our way. Well, several months ago, their coalition won both of those lawsuits in court, and this November, voters in Michigan 
will vote for a choice to take redistricting out of the hands of politicians and put it into the hands of citizen commissions like five other states in the country have already done. Do you have a personal experience with an uncivil conversation where things maybe went horribly wrong at a dinner table or or at some meeting? The most difficult conversations that I have been a participant in in the early days after the election were between Hillary voters and Trump voters particularly where the a large number of the Trump voters were evangelical Christians and where a large number of the Hillary voters couldn't deal with the how can you be a Christian and carry those moral values and therefore still vote for a man whose behavior we see on a regular basis doesn't fit many of those Ten Commandments. Yeah, That was amongst the most difficult conversations that I've witnessed. What we were able to do is slow the conversation down in pairs, not a larger group, where the entire point of this conversation is us to talk together long enough for me to understand why my life experience brought me to the place that I made the choice I made, and why did your life experience bring you to the place that you made the choice you made? You know, one thing that always comes up in these discussions is the idea that we need to compromise, we need to meet in the middle, and there's polls that say there are fewer people that identify as moderates, and that's worrisome. But what you're advocating isn't necessarily that everyone has to agree. It's that we have to remember, again, how to talk with people with whom we disagree. Yes, what you just said is the nugget of how it works. What gives me hope is as we do this work across the country, millions of Americans know that where we are is not healthy for them as individual people and not good for our country. Tell us about the seven-day civility challenge. You know, social science research says that any habit that a person wants to change What you need is 21 days of repetition of the new habit. We weren't quite courageous enough to say 21 days (laughs) for civil activities, but I think we're going to try to stretch it beyond seven to see if we can't help reinforce the habit. Carolyn, I'm wondering, do you have a favorite success story from the work you've done? The original work was done in October of 2015 in the state of Ohio. For two and a half days, we invited about 55 people, a third of whom were journalists, a third of whom were elected officials, the other third of whom were civic leaders from the public sector. Because Ohio is a true swing state, hundreds of millions of dollars go into the state at the end of the election cycle just totally negative. One of the projects that came out of that workshop was an experiment in 2016 of how to cover the presidential election. Journalists from 14 outlets agreed to collaborate on the key issues that Ohioans cared about in the election. So, for example, economy and jobs was one of the issues. The combination of media outlets in Cincinnati developed all of the background, long-form journalistic research on that issue and shared it with the other outlets. 
the Akron group took on the opioid crisis, developed all that data, and shared it with the other outlets. This experiment in Ohio worked so well because they started from what citizens cared about. This has now evolved into a project called Your Ohio Voices. There are now 30-some outlets that participate in it. They are now interested in bringing this model to other states. We're very proud of having been part of the initiation of this effort. Caroline Lukensmeyer of the National Institute for Civil Discourse, thanks very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. Caroline spoke about a circle of influence that we all have, and I think it underlines the point that she's making that if we think that the country's going to hell because of political dysfunction, it isn't about Washington, it's about us individually, and that we all can model better behavior ourselves. And it's not easy. You know, in almost any political discussion, almost all of us, our default is to say, well, but your side did this, or your side said this first, or it said that first. And I think that as much as everyone knows civil discourse is good, I mean, who could be against it, you right. know? Uh, but in fact, it takes a certain kind of effort and maybe a little bit of a, almost a mental exercise to rise above the tribalism and partisanship that humans naturally fall into. Yeah, I, I think that, I think right now, in, in the weeks after the Kavanaugh hearings, a lot of people are pretty shocked mm-hmm. by how nasty the way we talk about politics has become. And it's interesting. I was at a church service just this past Sunday where the minister, instead of, of talking about the usual biblical uh, the passages or, or lessons from the Bible, uh, talked very directly about this and said, we have a problem right in our own parish, that there's some of us who are Republicans, some of us who are Democrats, and it's becoming more difficult for each of us to talk to each other. Yeah, and... I think there's I think it's important to recognize that this isn't just a matter of like you're not good enough. If you or if you find that you're falling into these patterns or people in your in your circles are falling into these antagonistic patterns, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. And it and the solution isn't just oh everybody has to be better. I think what she points out is there's a certain exercise of open-mindedness that you have to work on. And I think one way to work on it is to challenge yourself. You know, sometimes in um, some law schools and other institutions, they make people do debates where they take the opposite side from the one they believe. And you try to make the best framing of the other side's argument. What's really good about that is that it helps you overcome that tendency to assume that your other side is only saying what they are because they're evil. We're seeing that all the time right now. If you try to say, how can I articulate what they're saying without being sarcastic, without assuming that they're saying what they're saying because it's because they're evil, and give the most charitable interpretation to what they say instead of the least charitable, you might find yourself moving internally a little bit, not to agree with it necessarily, but to stop vilifying the people who hold opinions you don't like. So, 
Over the next four weeks here on How Do We Fix It, we're going to be talking about various different local efforts to counter this trend. Um, I've traveled to Iowa, to Minnesota. I'm about to travel to North Carolina. And we'll be reporting back to you, Jim, and getting your reaction. Wait, to- you took all these trips without, and you did all this without my help? Yes, I did it. And I actually managed to work the, the, the equipment as well without Miranda's help. And so we'll be discussing different efforts to, uh, to counter political incivility and bridge the divide, or at least start to bridge the divide in the country. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting because it's it's more than just trying harder. There are actual things that people can do. Constructive and some, steps. And yeah. there's some great experiments and some great workshops and other things going on around the country. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more about what you're learning out there. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And thanks for joining us. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. The music's by Lou Stravinsky. And we're a production of Davies Content. We're podcast consultants as well as making this show. Find out more at DaviesContent.com. Okay, great. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Welcome back to Two Judgy Girls. I'm Mary from the Bay. And I'm Courtney from LA. TJG is the podcast where we spill all the tea on your favorite reality TV shows, celebrity gossip, and everything in between. We're here to bring you our unfiltered opinions, hilarious commentary, and plenty of laughs along the way. We're two SDSU Delta Gamma sisters with a microphone and a whole lot of opinions. Each week, we dive headfirst into the wild world of reality television, from Bravo to all the trash TV you could want. We break down the drama, dissect the latest scandals, and share our thoughts on everything from the jaw-dropping moments to the embarrassing antics. But that's not all. We're not here to just gossip. We're here to connect with you, the jurors, and share our love of all things pop culture. Whether we're dishing on the latest celebrity breakups, discussing our favorite guilty pleasure movies, or sharing embarrassing stories from our own lives, we promise to keep it real, keep it fun, and keep you coming back for more. Come judge with us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Acast.com.